This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. If I gave you guys the option right now, of an all-expenses-paid trip to Indianapolis, Indiana in February. <laughs> you guys would probably take it, wouldn't you? Kyle Odegaard, Darren Urban, it's Cardinals Underground, yours truly, Pauly Podcast, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Darren, this breaks a streak of how many years of you going to Indy in person and covering the Combine? 2001 would have been mm. the last, the first one that I went to in this current streak, so whatever that would be, 20 years? That's a lot of combines there, Paul. Compared it, was really the, it was really the last normal thing we did before yeah. COVID. We went last year and you started hearing rumblings about this coronavirus, didn't really know too much about it. And then we got back and pretty soon after everything started shutting down. So to me, it's a real landmark because we went to Indy, everything was normal. And then we came back and then we got into this existence. I mean, you take the 40 degrees right now and cloudy skies and maybe some icy sidewalks in a minute at this point. There's Darren, I remember John Clayton talking about, and I don't know exactly when the combine started, but Clayton was talking about the early days in his first couple of years attending and covering versus what it's grown into now. We presume we'll return to hopefully next year. But tell us what it was like in 01, your first one you went to. It must have been radically different as to what it's evolved into now. It is radically different, although I will say that when I started going, it was already starting to change significantly from the time that, uh, you know, John Clayton first went or our good friend Kent Summers uh, was going. Because originally, where the players stay, uh, the, the um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on the, uh, on the, the, the hotel with the crown in the name, but, uh, uh, they, the players would stay there and then the handful of reporters that would go and, and you'd probably only have 15, 20 reporters that would go necessarily. And they'd literally hang out in the uh, lobby uh, waiting to grab guys uh, or grab uh, team personnel. And, you know, I, I've, Kent has told stories is like, you, you don't know what most of these players look like. They're just going through. And it was well before this time when all these guys wore, like now all these guys are given like uh, Under Armour sweats with their names on the back and everything. So even when they're not on the field, you know who they are. And in those days, they're probably just wearing their own clothes. So it was a real crapshoot. And uh, it did eventually uh, move along. Uh, In 2001, by the time I got there, they had started bringing uh, players and and coaches into a single room. And there still was only about, I don't know, maybe 200 of us reporting. Um, 
it seemed like it wasn't a huge number and we were in the convention center and my, my favorite times of those moments was in those days, the combine wasn't the only convention in the convention center. I mean, we'd have years where it was like, I remember one year there was a, there was the combine and, and, and in those days also the, the stadium was still connected right there in the convention center. Now it's still connected to the convention center, but it's further away. The RC, the old RCA dome was literally like you, you walk down this hallway, open a door and you're in the stadium. So all the team personnel, the coaches and the GMs and the scouts would walk past this, this, all this area where all these rooms are, you'd stand out there waiting to grab them uh, and, and talk to them a little bit in this area where you're also having a cheerleading convention of like all these little girl cheerleaders running around with their parents. One year, there was also a homeschooling convention at the same time. So there was all these people doing homeschooling, including all these Amish families with the cheerleaders and the combine people. It was, oh, it was fun, baby. And uh, and now it's it's so much more. I mean, everything's isolated. They've moved everything around. I mean, even a couple of years ago, when Kyle first started going to the combine, we were at least a little bit closer to where the, the, we were actually in the stadium. Now they've moved all the media into the convention center and all the uh, all the regular press conferences into a different room in the convention center. So you're not even in the stadium anymore, uh, per se. So they, they've definitely stretched out. The, the availability is there, but they've made sure it's a lot harder to get somebody other than, you know, when they're supposed to be talking to the media. Yeah, let me tell you, those Amish conventions can be tough to get parking. You know, the horse and buggies are double parked out there. It's taking up more than one space. I mean, come on, you know, that's a, I can breathe. Or maybe there's like a home improvement convention you're walking through and you're trying to get to the three cone drill and you're buying some aluminum siding for the house. You know, that's, that's good. That's good. Hey, I was telling someone the other day, the UFO Congress, it used to be in Fountain Hills, has actually moved downtown Phoenix to the Phoenix Convention Center. So that's, that's how you know. And now with the Mars rover landing, I mean, you know, if you want to buy low, sell high when it comes to conventions, my money's on the UFO Congress convention that started in tiny Fountain Hills and has been growing ever since. Mark that down, Kyle. Okay. You want it's 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 the new plastics or dot com in the uh, you know, it's gonna explode to some artificial intelligence. It's right there. It's ready to Did explode. You just say you're you're gonna buy a stake in Mars. Is that what I heard? You just bought an <laughs> acre on Mars? Yeah, that's right. Uh, let me tell you, forget about the service of Mars. Did you see what Andy Isabella was doing in his living room? There's my segue, okay? I'm not even allowed at Casa Calvisi, and here we are still, you know, hold up in our houses. I can't even step foot in my living room the past three months because we got new carpet. So on strict orders from the missus, there should be no one setting foot in that, especially me, into our living room. And there's Andy Isabella, Kyle, and he's throwing around big weight, Olympic-style lifting in, on the hardwood of his own living room. See, this is the best part about young NFL players. Andy Isabella is maybe 24 years old and he's got, you know, a decent amount of money and he's in a profession where he needs to lift weights. So he probably bought or rented a, a pretty nice abode and it's, you know, got the traditional dining room and all that stuff. Like if you're in college, you're doing this stuff in a cheap apartment and that just happens with all college athletes. But when you meet the NFL, you got your own place and you still need to lift weights. Maybe some people would do the garage, but hey, if you got to go in the dining room, you got to go in the dining room. Well, he's single. That's the key, right? You know, yeah. you can go, go, go wherever you want. So that, that's, by the way, for my money, the best event of any Olympics are the power lifters. Are you guys with me on that? Is there anything better 
than the Olympic size powerlifters. And when they're sitting there and they're about to crouch over the bar for the clean and the jerk or whatever, the power jam, whatever the heck they call that thing. And, and, and they're sitting there and you're like, there's no way this dude is going to lift that. And he manages to put that over his head. To me, every four years, that's what I set the DVR to is the stinking powerlifting competition. Who's with me on that? I, I just, that feels like a, that's, that feels like a real a FOMO thing for you, Paul. Like you just fear missing out the ability to be able to do something like that. That <laughs> seems like something you would really like to do in your life. Yeah. But, but Darren, that, that doesn't narrow it down much. Okay. I mean, you know, any, any sporting uh, endeavor, I mean, I, you know, I'm missing out, put it out, you know, I'm not qualified or equipped to do anything at a high level. Okay. So you might have to narrow that down a little. When I was early in my uh, writing career, I covered beach volleyball when Misty May and Carrie Walsh had won all those gold medals and they were at uh, Tempe Beach Park and I went and covered that and I asked them like do you have a traveling beat writer that could just cover beach volleyball the entire time I think they had one person to do it and I was like oh maybe I can get on that where you just go from beach to beach cover volleyball I'm feeling the same way for you Paul if there's like a professional power weightlifting circuit you could be their guy you could be the sideline reporter go from city to city, Olympics to Olympics. I think you still have time. That's your calling. You know what? You still have time. I like that. You're not dead yet, Paul. <laughs> it said be somewhere between Olympic event and WWE. You got to bring the energy. You fire it up a little bit. You can uh, concoct some sort of rivalries and storylines. Someone's got to take care of that. I mean, honestly, the greatness of these power lifters, uh, I-, I think, goes un- – oh, it's underrated. It's undernoticed every four years. <laughs> There's nothing better than sitting in a bar on a Friday and a, ha- and a happy hour and you're getting a beverage. You look up on the screen, it's the power lifting. I mean, boom, just keep them coming, barkeep. Just keep them coming. I'm here all evening watching the power lifting. Or all the, the world's strongest men shows. That was always fun. To, they'd always have that on at the bar, like <laughs> that's right. 7 p.m. That's what's on ESPN, too. It's world's strongest man. That's right. Paulie Pencilneck here. I'm interviewing Magnus for Magnuson. That'd be good. <laughs> That'd be solid. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, by the way, um, in terms of uh, in, in terms of what's going on right now, as uh, yes, we're filling a little bit of time, and uh, you know, is the Olympics on? By the way, this coming summer, I don't think so, right? Is the Olympics They're on? They're still hoping. They're still hoping, Paul. Yeah. The Tokyo All right. Olympics. All right. Fingers so we'll crossed. see about that. What we do know, Darren, is the window is open for tags, franchise, and transition tag. I think I have a pretty good handle at this point about the franchise tag. The transition tag. Refresh our memory on the transition tag because that's what Kenyon Drake got last year, right? Yeah, the transition tag is 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 basically a lesser version uh, of of the franchise tag, and essentially what it comes down to is that um, you know you can you tag a guy instead of having an actual draft compensation attached to it like the franchise tag. Um, you you. Uh, you just are trying to match the offer. You get your first, you get a, our uh, re, first refusal for anybody who signs them to an offer sheet. And the difference is, is instead of uh, being an average of the top five contracts out there for that position, it's the average of the top 10, which is probably not a huge gigantic difference at this point uh, for most positions, to be honest, but uh, it is, it would be a little bit lower and it gives you a little bit more elbow room when it comes uh, to doing a tag, but you can only do one a year, either franchise or transition, you know, and they, they did the right thing with Drake last year because at $8 million, no one was going to offer him more money than that. And we'll see what happens this year with like 
perhaps Hassan Reddick where that might go. But I, I do think that becomes a lot different, more different of a situation because I think Reddick will be more in demand than Kenyon Drake was last year. Steve Kime did say on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Kyle that it is possible, quote unquote, possible that Hassan Reddick could be tagged. How likely or unlikely do you think in your opinion? I think in a regular year, it would be more likely because he's almost that perfect candidate who had a great season, 12 and a half sacks, really came on at the end of the season, but only doing it one year. Are you a little bit afraid to give him this five-year deal with $45 million guaranteed, where if you just give him one year, you can say, if you prove it again, if you get double-digit sacks again, we'll feel good about paying you. So I think in a normal situation, he'd be a prime candidate the difference this year is the salary cap is so much lower that if you sign him to a one-year deal for whatever it's going to be, $14, $15 million, probably for the transition tag, that's a pretty big chunk of your cap space for one guy for one year. If you do a three or four-year deal, you can really spread it out and make the salary cap hit this season a lot lower. So that's what gives me pause because of the pandemic-related issues. Um, But still, because of what he did and because of his track record previously, it wouldn't shock me if they they did tag Hassan Reddick because he does have that kind of upside where you really want to keep him, and that's not committing to a long-term deal. For me... The interesting part about the tag for Reddick is I feel like if you tag him, you have to know that you are well down the road to getting him signed because you can't, I don't, I don't think you can, you can essentially tag him and have that turn into something where he's playing on that this year. I mean, they, there, there's already, you know, a little bit of concern when you talk about Chandler Jones and he, his, his cap hit is over $20 million. And if you have another 14, 15, $16 million of a hit for Hassan Reddick, I don't know how you do that with just two people. And in fact, where they stand right now, uh, because again, as long as the guy's tagged, that counts against your, your, your cap. Um, I believe that just tagging him would essentially use up all your available cap space you'd be frozen until you did something uh, in terms of with your existing contracts already or being able to sign anybody else. And I just think that that would be too much of, a, of an issue. It just, it reminds me uh, so much of where they were and it wasn't because of the tag, but you know, back in the day before Alan Fanica went to the Jets and had another three great years of uh, his career and, and obviously just got into the hall of fame, um, he was leaving the Steelers and Russ Grimm was coaching here and Ken Wisner was coaching here and the Cardinals really wanted him and he wanted to come here uh, when he still had a lot left in the tank. But that was the offseason where they had to do something with Larry Fitzgerald's deal and they were hamstrung because of the cap hit. And by the time they got Larry's deal worked out, Banica had already signed because he couldn't pass up what the Jets were offering him. And that's, you don't want to be in a position where you have no flexibility and lose out on guys you might be able to get um, because of the one tag. And I think that's what they're, in a lot of ways, what they're faced with Hassan Reddick. I wonder if one edge rusher contract begets another. You sort of read my mind when you brought up Chandler Jones, Darren. I wonder, they get a deal done, an extension done with Chandler Jones. They bring down that cap number from 20 plus million per year. And that allows them to get a deal done, the cap room at least, to either tag Hassan Reddick and or get a contract in place. So it'll be more favorable long-term. 
and, and really work under the auspices of this year and that ceiling, whatever it's going to be. We know the floor is going to be 180. Is the ceiling going to be 183 to 185? Uh, we'll see. Either way, it's a haircut from 198 and makes it more challenging for teams. So I wonder to what degree, Kyle, they might be looking at their two edge rushers as literally a bookend deal on and off the field in, in terms of the, the contract. I think it makes a lot of sense to extend Chan Jones from the Cardinals point of view, because like you said, it can bring down his cap hit this season. And I feel like with Chandler Jones's skill set, and if you can get Hassan Reddick back, they really complement each other well, where Chandler Jones is this elite pass rusher. That's his big identifiable skill. Hassan Reddick can rush the passer too, but he's so athletic that he can drop in coverage and do some other stuff when you need to only rush four guys and have that outside linebacker drop. So I think they work well together. The question is, what kind of extension can you give Chandler Jones, who's coming off a season-ending injury, who's, I think, 31 years old now? The negotiations get trickier at this point, as we see with Patrick Peterson, where Chandler Jones has been an all-pro edge rusher for a long time. Two years ago, he's second in defensive player of the year voting, so he thinks he deserves this $20 million, and I just want more money these next couple seasons. What do the Cardinals offer him? Are, would they be in the same ballpark? If they are, I agree with you. I think you extend him for a little bit less money than he got in his prime, but then you can push that money down and then it helps free up room for this season. If it's not Chandler, I do feel like there's ways you can cut guys or renegotiate other contracts and get cap room. So I'm a little less concerned with that. I feel like if they want certain guys this offseason, I think they can kick the can down the road. Right, so if we're talking about other guys, that would sort of logically lead, Darren, to Kenyon Drake, who was on Good Morning Football earlier this week and at least told the folks in NFL Network, quote, there hasn't really been too much dialogue right now. He said, I know the league and teams are trying to figure out the cap room, that type of situation. Like I said, once we cross that bridge, we'll get there, end quote. Do you think they're not talking to Kenyon Drake because they're already resigned to parting ways or are they truly waiting for a little more info as to, where exactly the cap's going to land. I think, I think for a lot of teams right now, I think there's going to be a lot of waiting around. I mean, again, in, I believe you mentioned it. I mean, we don't even know what the official last cap number is yet. It's kind of tough to really start planning, especially in a year where the cap is going down so much to not have that exact number. Now you can start playing with some things and like, do I think the Cardinals have an idea of, what they want to do with Kenyon Drake or what they want to do with Hassan Reddick or what they want to do with Patrick Peterson. Of course I do. Um, does that mean that they have had those, that dialogue yet? No. Does that mean that they think they're going to necessarily be able to keep or lose any of them individually? I, I don't know if they know that yet. Um, there's just, again, so many unknowns. You don't know who's going to be on the market. I mean, if, you know, if you're, if you're Kenyon Drake, for instance, here, and, and let's say the cards do want you back, but it's only on a X amount of dollars. If you're Kenyon Drake, is this a good place for you to stay for one more year and try and build up something and hit the, the, the market again? Do you want to move when you just feel like you're, you only got, you're going to do a one-year deal and, and be done with it anyways? I mean, that's something that the players are going to have to start figuring out too, is it's not just the money. It's, is it, up and uprooting yourself for one year. Essentially, I think it'll come down to not only the money for each player, but also what the best fit is, because I just feel like so many of these guys 
are going to be expecting to try and hit the free agent market again in 2022 when they're hoping the financial situation is better because it's, it's not going to be good for so many of these guys. And I think that's going to impact the Cardinals, not only about how much money they can spend, but also on the other way, which is what these players are trying to figure out. And look, we're going to be having these conversations for at least the next couple of months here on Cardinals underground brought to you by Pacific office automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals team owner, Michael Bidwell was on 98, seven FM, Arizona sports. And he was asked about specific players and, he basically came back to the same refrain, Kyle, and that was to say that, look, a lot of these veteran players need to work with us, quote unquote, is what Michael Bidwell said. And he mentioned how the salary cap's going down. In any case, it is going down. There's going to be less to work with. And so, you know, he also added how veterans are going to be cut around the league. So if Kenyon Drake, if there isn't a deal to be had in place with the Cardinals, I think the cards might feel like, you know what? we're fairly confident there's going to be some pretty talented running backs out on that open market that we can potentially sign. Yeah. It seems to me like every team might identify two or three guys that they really want to go after and give a pretty good deal to. And after that, like you said, if, if you think certain position, there's a lot of comparable talent, you just wait it out and see who signs and see who doesn't. And if there's a group of five guys that you feel comfortable with, chances are, two or three of them are going to be on the market a week or two after the big rush of free agency, and you can get them at big time discounts. So I agree with you. Like the, the players right now are in a tough spot where they understand the production they did during the season and what that means in a usual season. But now knowing that the cap is so low, do you take a risk and not resign and go to a market with, a, with an upside of maybe getting that deal and with the downside of having to sign a one year for much less than you think you're worth. So I think it's a tough call for a lot of players. And from the team side, so many teams are up against the cap that they're not going to be raising their offers and negotiating a lot. I feel like this is going to be their number for certain guys. And if they don't want it, then they're just going to let them go because there are going to be deals in free agency. And I, I will say this too, in a normal situation, when you start talking about players taking less than, you know, what they're worth and, and having to make those decisions, you know, in a, in a normal time, if you're a team, you're like, yes, this is a great situation for us. But the reason they're taking less here is because the teams won't have the ability to sign those guys. So I still think it's the players that come out in a worse position uh, on an individual basis, but a lot of teams aren't going to be, aren't, aren't thrilled about this either. I mean, most teams would, would kill for be able to pay these guys more money to be able to build their teams. There are some teams because of rollover money over the years that have, will have quite a bit of, of cap room, whether, you, you know, the Colts and the Jaguars are two that, that instantly come to mind right now, but there's so many teams that don't, I mean, we've talked about this before the saints and the Steelers and the, and the Rams, last I checked, were among the teams that are hopelessly underwater in terms of how the cap is going to go. And I don't know how they are supposed to put together a team this year that's supposed to be competitive. So, I, I, again, I think this offseason is going to be fascinating for somebody like me who, guess what? I don't have the pressure of <laughs> trying to get signed or be signing anybody. I just get to sit back and watch how it plays out. Guess what? Chase Edmonds might be right. There's going to be a lot of talented players signing one-year deals. And there might be the ability of some teams to make a run at a super team with a bunch of one-year signees. I mean, 
to Darren's point, I have the numbers in front of me over the cap.com says Jacksonville, the Jets and New England have the most room under the cap that the Jets have, or I'm sorry, the Jags have somewhere around $80 million to spend. Think about that. And they're going to have a rookie quarterback contract uh, in the fold on that one. 13 teams are currently over the cap and eight of those made the playoffs. So there will be blood. There will be cuts and a lot of talented guys will hit the open market. And then to Darren's other point, I had no idea until I saw this recently and, and I verified this. So teams that had carryover cap space, I, I didn't even realize that this was allowed to this degree. For example, Dallas is carrying over more than $25 million. Cleveland, $30 million plus. The Jets, $26 million plus. I, honestly, I didn't know you could have that much carryover. I, I thought there was a certain floor that guarded against that or eliminated that. So somehow Dallas is carrying over 25 million plus, and then you still have to figure out their quarterback spot with Dak Prescott. You have to reach a certain percentage of the cap in like a four or five year window. So you can roll over that amount uh, for a certain, for each year, but you got to eventually get there. But yeah, teams like, I think the Browns are in good caps shape and, and the Colts, I, I feel like those are the most dangerous team because teams, because they're close to competitiveness, playoff teams trying to push for that Super Bowl, And they have cap room where the jets and the Jaguars are pretty far away. So I don't know if they're going to go on a spending spree, especially guys that want one or two year deals. Like you're not going to contend in the next year or two. So why do that? Um, but the, the Colts could be very aggressive if they want and really get, five or six guys that they really want because they're in that position. And I think that the Cardinals are in an interesting spot. They're a little bit in between where they don't have a ton of camp room, but they do have some maneuverability. They're not over the cap. Like you said, Paul, with those 13 teams and they're on this trajectory where they want to be super competitive in 2021. And I think they're going to be willing to be aggressive like they were last offseason with DeAndre Hopkins. And I do think the trade market could be busier because you mentioned the Saints. They got to trade some guys to get down under the cap or maybe some high-priced guys move because these playoff teams just can't afford them. So I think it'll be a very interesting offseason total in the NFL, and the Cardinals could be a part of that because of where they're at with Kyler Murray in year three of his rookie deal. Just to put a quick cap on the on the carryover money too, Paul, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds because, you know, people get bored over this stuff. But, you know, part of the reason the Cowboys carried over so much cap room is because they got to the point where they realized they might need it for Dak Prescott. So you get to a point where you could hand out a couple of extensions or you realize, especially when you know a bad cap is hit is coming, which we knew with COVID, that they better have the kind of room to be able to keep their quarterback. And some of these other teams, I mean, the Jaguars have been stashing. I mean, that's, that's not all that it is all rolled over from last year, but that number has been increasing over the last couple of years. It's not like that's all just from last year's cap. They didn't spend. It's kind of built up. Now you're right. There's, there's gotta be a floor, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, there are definitely some teams in better places than others. So Jacksonville, for example, presumably has been operating right around the floor for several years to accumulate 80 million in cap room right now and nearly 30 million in carryover. You know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's definitely been uh, the result of several years of that sort of uh, caponomics. Yeah. And when you're rebuilding, you can shed salaries pretty quickly. Like Miami, when they decided to trade a bunch of guys, they're, 
their salary cap space went through the roof because they traded all their stars for draft picks and all that money is gone besides the dead hit. So you can, you can get money quickly in the NFL if you want to, but most teams don't because you want to be competitive on a year to year basis. And like right now you look at the jets having a bunch of space, but they don't have a quarterback. And there's a lot of teams that don't have their franchise quarterback in place. So if you draft one, you're fine. But if you want to sign one, okay, there's $35 million of your cap room gone. So I think it's all relative. We have to remember what teams, what kind of space teams have, but also what kind of players they have on the books too. So from a Cardinals perspective, they have their quarterback, their left tackle, their star wide receiver, their edge rusher. I mean, corner is really the only big premium position the Cardinals don't have under contract. And that's why I feel like they're in pretty good cap space where others have said they don't have a ton of room and they don't, but they have a lot of these premium positions already under contract. By the way, the latest CBS mock draft that I saw as of a few hours before this recording, Caleb Farley, the 6'2 corner from Virginia Tech, went before the Cardinals, but then they nabbed Patrick Sertan from Alabama as uh, the number 16 pick overall. So there's your mock draft update desk uh, as I provide that. And, uh, you know, Darren, I don't, Darren doesn't know whether to wince or smile at this point. <laughs> I will say this, though. I think I can confidently say that as a nation, the only thing – that we're more tired of and weary from than the pandemic is Dak Prescott contract talk. Who's with me on that one? (laughs) Seriously. I mean, it was all of last off season. Now it's starting again. I mean, uh, at this point, I'm not sure what I want to go away first, the pandemic or just Dak's discussion about Dak and his next contract, just get it done and save the nation Dallas. That's why that's why Deshaun Watson came out with wanting to be traded so he could take some of the pressure off the Dak Prescott uh, storyline. That's right. That's right. So thanks to Deshaun Watson for uh, his unrest with his own team and dissatisfaction. Yeah, that's uh, by the way, when Steve Kime was on uh, Arizona Sports, Kyle, uh, was there anything else that made news on, you know, uh, out there that we should focus on in terms of what he was anything else concrete that we can sink our teeth into? Yeah, I think just the idea that they he doesn't want to release Chandler Jones or he said, I reject the premise that he could be a surprise cut because that was starting to gain a little traction. Anytime you see a big cap savings number for a, a player that's 30 or older, people naturally gravitate to that and say, hey, maybe this is a possibility because releasing Chandler Jones would save you $15 million. And it would, but you have to remember the quality of player too. So if it was somebody who was super injury prone and three years away from their last good season, then I think it makes more sense. But Chandler Jones has been a rock on this team for so long. We've all seen how consistently he gets pressure, he gets sacks. So uh, Steve kind of put that to bed a little bit saying, no, we're not, I'm rejecting the premise that we're going to cut Chandler Jones, even though it would be that cap savings. And Darren, as far as Larry, both Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime were asked, of course, about fits, and uh, neither one had anything definitive. I think Michael said that he had flown back from the Super Bowl with Larry, and they talked about a lot and had a long discussion, but they never got serious about contract or what exactly Larry's going to do going forward. So we still wait. Is, is that the latest? I mean, that's the latest as we sit here recording now, Paul. I suppose that can always change even between the time where we finish recording this and when we post this podcast. But, I mean, everybody's kind of waiting. I, I don't know. I know we've talked about this before. I don't know if this has to do with maybe finding out what the cap's going to be or whatever. But, again, I think with Larry, I think they have an idea of what they would want to spend 
on another contract for him. And um, he, I, I guess he would have a pretty good idea already of what that would look like. And now it's just the question of whether he wants to play or not play. And um, the thing about it is, is you would think, and I was kind of pondering this earlier. I'm like, I guess in some ways you could probably be in a situation where he could delay it for a while, even after free agency starts. But I just feel like they're going to be so tight against the cap. They're going to need to know. I mean, he's not playing for the minimum. So they're going to need to know uh, if he's going to play or not before we get to free agency. So we're, we're closing in, I think, pretty quickly on what, him having to make a decision and I he's the kind of guy I mean he's not going to leave this team hanging he's not going to be put them in a spot where they are totally screwed without knowing what he's going to do um so I I feel like you know that that second week of March you know March 15th is when the tampering can officially start March 17th is when free agency actually starts I'm guessing by March 15th um they this everybody will know what Larry Fitzgerald plans to do for 2021. And my Fitz bobblehead here, Kyle. You know, if you could ask Larry uh, or the bobblehead in this case, uh, you know, one question, you know, I think it would be, What are you waiting for? What do you think? What is Larry waiting for at this point? You know, the floor to the cap, it's not going to deviate all that much. What exactly is he waiting to see if they make a move to fortify the roster? I just, I'd like to know what exactly is the delay related to? Yeah, I think that's a great question and I'm not sure. I mean, it, like, like Darren said, maybe it's connected to the cap, but if, if it's quibbling over 500 K a million dollars at the top, like it seems a little bit weird to me that that would be one of the big stopping points and, or even making a certain move. Uh, is that like, do you know that you're going to be closer to a Super Bowl if you do a certain thing, unless it's a huge splash. So I just feel like he's taking his time and, and just coming to his, his realistic logical journey of do, do I want to keep playing? And I think it's a lot more big picture than looking down into the, the details of all this stuff. And I think he's, he's really, going back and forth and weighing the pros and cons. It's a big decision. I mean, obviously we all want to know, but the moment he decides to retire, that, that means he's hanging it up for good. It's something he's done his entire life and he has other interests obviously. And he's going to be uh, very focused on business and, and the humanitarian side. And he's going to be a busy guy and have plenty to do, but this is such a big part of his life that I think it's a, a, a crucial decision and one that he's not taking lightly, obviously, and, and one he wants to make sure he gets right. I would agree that I, I don't think this has anything to do with money at this point. Um, and I don't think it really has to do with I mean, maybe they give him a kind of a ballpark of what they want to do with the roster. But the real, uh, the reality is, is that he's going to probably have to make a decision before they can sign anybody. So it's not like he can sit, sit around and wait for them to make a couple moves. And I, I don't think that's where Larry is in his, in his career anymore. Anyways, he wants them to win, but I, I think, I think he knows where they are. I think he knows where Steve Kime is. I think he knows where Cliff Kingsbury is. Those guys, it's not like they're in slow ramp up mode at this point. I mean, if they don't win this year, uh, it's going to get a little toasty. And, and, and I think everybody knows that. So I don't think it's a question with Larry about trying to, you know, figure out what moves in particular they're going to make. I agree with Kyle. I think this is, 
a long drawn out process. I think this is the closest he's ever really been at this point to retiring. I think there's been a couple of seasons that have ended and he's kind of like, I'm burned out. Maybe I will do this, but he quickly realizes he doesn't want to walk away. I think this is the first time he's really given it a lot of thought and he's smartly giving himself some time. I mean, if they're down to 500 K or a million dollars and that's separating the two sides, I mean, come on now, Larry's stock portfolio goes up and down by a million dollars every single day. I mean, are you kidding me? Just write it. Just, just his own brokerage account uh, that fluctuates by, by that much on a near daily basis. I know about a month ago, joking around, I texted him. I said, Hey, we're still editing your career retrospective piece. It's about 12 minutes long at this point. So uh, don't retire this week, you know, LOL, you know, just, uh, and, and I didn't really mean for him to take another four or five weeks after that. So, you know, Larry, no, we're, done. we're all done editing. Come on. You guys have your pieces in the can, you know, I mean, everyone's ready to go Larry. envelope, please, you know, come on. I mean, and I think, go ahead. I think from a team building standpoint too, like it's important, obviously Fitz can take his time, but when we talk about getting to free agency, not only from how much money he's going to take up on the cap, but what do you want to do as far as building this offense? Because if Larry Fitzgerald is part of it compared to if Larry Fitzgerald is not, that's a big change on what you could do at wide receiver, where you're spending your resources. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big decision offensively and how you're going to build a lot of this thing. So I think that's an important domino that's going to fall as well. Do you really think Paul, that there would be a chance in any universe where Larry Fitzgerald, who has the relationship he has with Michael Bidwell, would actually end up, there would be some kind of quibble between half a million dollars or a million dollars. I just don't. No. I don't see how that's even possible. I don't even think that's, no. I, like, that's why I don't think that's a thing. No, I, I, I don't either. I, a, absolutely not. That is, um, you know, maybe, okay, you guys want to hear it? Maybe he's waiting for a DeAndre Hopkins type trade. Maybe there's something in the works. This time a year ago, the Cardinals were about to win the offseason and get the offseason cup, right? Maybe just maybe something else is in the works right now that we haven't caught wind of that Larry might be aware of potentially. And henceforth, he's waiting uh, accordingly. For, for those that since this is a podcast, I'm going to have to share that Paul Calvisi has a mini championship cup trophy that he just held up into the video. Well, that, you know, it can't be the size of Lombardi. This is for winning the off season. This is the Rex Ryan <laughs> award for winning the off season. That's what you get right here. This plastic three inch cup. <laughs> I mean, as we talked about earlier, I don't, I don't think Larry Fitzgerald is waiting to see if the Cardinals are going to do a blockbuster trade, but I do think that's an avenue that they can pursue because like we said, the cap is going to wreak havoc on teams. There's going to be teams that need to shed so much salary that maybe they're willing to deal a star or two. And, and maybe the Cardinals can get in on that. They obviously showed they would do it with DeAndre Hopkins. You probably can't get that type of value in another trade because it was so lopsided, but are you willing to trade a first round pick at this point where you feel like your window with Kyler Murray is these next three years when he's on his rookie deal, are you willing to mortgage the future a little bit and, and go all in? And I, I think that could be a possibility. I feel like they're at that point in year three where you're really going to pour a lot of resources into these next couple seasons. Let, let's just make clear too, Kyle is a big proponent of the go all in and get kicked in the shorts later. I, if he wants to expound on that. 
Well, I mean, you look at the history of teams that win Super Bowls, and it's very often their quarterback is on that rookie contract because you can build the team around him and have a lot of talent around him. And the minute Kyler Murray's extension kicks into its market value, if you know if it gets extended, I know I'm looking forward, and we all assume that eventually they're going to come to a deal. Then you're talking about going from a $10 million cap hit to – a $40 million or whatever it's going to be. So that's a significant chunk of money that will never be there again when Kyler Murray is making that type of money. So I think these next two or three years are crucial. And we've seen it over and over teams that have a quarterback on a rookie contract, they build up around them and they go for it. And the Rams did it and the Seahawks did it and the chiefs have done it. And, you know, all these teams, the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz on a rookie deal. Uh, it's happening over and over and over. And I think with the progress the Cardinals have made these last two seasons, they're on that precipice. They're on the edge of serious competitiveness. And I think if a DeAndre Hopkins type deal presents itself, you need to be aggressive and keep going for it. All right. I advanced this theory on Big Red Rage. I'm going to bring this up since it is a podcast. Cardinals are underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, p- proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, There were the recent promotions in the front office, right? Quentin Harris, now VP of Player Personnel, Adrian Wilson, VP of Pro Personnel, Drew Grigson, Director of Player Personnel. May I nominate Larry Fitzgerald as assistant to the assistant GM, which doesn't really exist. Just work with me. If indeed this is going to be a situation, Chase Edmonds, where a team might have the ability to build a super team, who's got a bigger contact list than Larry Fitzgerald who has the ability to work the phones and connect with players on a LeBron like level across the NFL, like Larry Fitzgerald. What if Fitz was the catalyst him and his relationships across the league to bring in, Hey, this is going to be Larry Palooza 2021. I'm going out one more year. Come on in. We're streaking, we're streaking, bring in Snoop Dogg. You're going to let it, I mean, the whole thing, old school style, and you just come in and it's one big bash. The last year, everyone comes in to try and get Larry that ring, everyone on a one-year deal until the cap resets for 2022, and Larry and his contact list and his phone makes it happen. First of all, you, you, you already, we already saw that movie. It was in 2020. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady, but – uh, and and secondly, Here, it's a copycat league. Do exactly what Tom Brady uh, just did, but now Larry's the catalyst. And and to be honest, since we've 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 straightened out exactly what Adrian's title is, then the vice president of stuff is still available now. So uh, that Adrian once claimed. So maybe that that we can make Fitz the vice president of stuff. Stuff. There you um, go. I, I. It's a fascinating idea. Uh, the 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 issue there is, you know, again. Is he doing it as a as a player there? So you're coming to like maybe come in if if everybody's going to do a one year deal. What are they taking less money? Look, I, I think I think to a certain extent people like the idea of uh, being part of a super team. And all things being equal, yeah, you'd rather do that than go to a, just another team if the money is the same. But the money isn't necessarily always going to be the same. And and we've even seen it with the Buccaneers. Like they have the. Uh, the parade, the water parade after winning the Super Bowl, Bruce Arians is up there dropping expletives and talking about how every single one of these free agents is going to be back. Where else would they be going? They're going to be right back on our roster. 
And then people start crunching the numbers and they go, oh, wait a minute, how is that even possible? And then a couple of guys are like, yeah, this is my one chance at making a huge deal of money. I mean, yeah, real Chris Godwin is gone. the emotions real quick, even with the vice president of stuff, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, we were on the Big Red Rage, Kyle, and we asked Larry flat out uh, back when we could actually uh, be near each other. And he had his phone. I said, come on, drop, do some name dropping on your phone right there. And, you know. He's got Warren Buffett on speed dial. He gets text messages from Tiger Woods and Barack Obama. You know, Larry can make it happen if he decides to hit his contact list. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. And maybe if he has certain relationships, maybe that pushes things over the edge. But I go back to what Darren's saying. Money talks the most. I mean, if you're getting an offer for $3 million from this team and $1.2 million from the Cardinals, it's great to have a friend in Larry Fitzgerald, but who's, who's giving you that other $1.8 million. So to me, I'm always taking the money if it's, if it's up to me in that situation, but you do bring up a good point about, or Darren did about the Buccaneers where that was really one of the few instances where it actually happened in the NFL. We've seen it time and time again in the NBA ever since LeBron teamed up with D Wade and Chris Bosch, but the NFL is so different that you don't really super team it um, because guys don't have guaranteed contracts. They're always trying to make sure they maximize their earning potential in the NFL. But maybe you do go into a situation like they had with Gronk and Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette. And all these guys certainly came and wanted to play with Tom Brady. I'm not sure the Cardinals are there because of the record last season. I think maybe if they won 10 games, made the playoffs, won a playoff game, they'd be a little bit more of a, a sexier choice for all these free agents. I think they're, they might need to surprise next season in order to get that, to get to that level, but I don't think they're there yet. So um, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's certainly an intriguing idea. And the idea of a super team, I mean, Chase Edmonds brought it up. So players are thinking about maybe it's going to happen. Um, and, and we'll just have to see what happens in free agency. Hey, 40 of the 50 states just went through the worst winter storm in like decades. So, you know, Larry, just get on the horn, start extolling the virtues of our 71 degree day in full sunshine. And now's the time to strike. Now is when you start because these guys are ready, <laughs> poised to get out of the cold and to come to some warm weather and sunshine. So, by the way, how about a quick shout out to Mike Upati, who uh, decided to call it a career after 11 years, Big Mike and uh, Big Mike. What, four Pro Bowls, three with the Niners. His first year with the Cardinals went to the Pro Bowl. I know he was always our pick when we asked the question to start every season, as we do on the Big Red Rage. If you had to pick one member of the Arizona Cardinals to walk into a biker bar with, <laughs> Mike Upati was always my choice. i just tell you that right now. I will say that uh, uh, reading the story of, uh, I believe it was from Idaho, who he basically broke the news to, um, and seeing his quotes, it was good to know that uh, Mike, who is a great dude, uh, his economy of words has not changed for the quotes <laughs> in that story. Um, and I will say Mike Sando putting out the, uh, the very impressive one career reception of Mikey Potty that he had against the Vikings on that Thursday night game. That was, that was a good memory right there because the Cardinals don't win that game without if they hadn't targeted Mikey Potty. Uh, so that was <laughs> That's right. Let me tell you. This was years ago, and it was um, it was after the season, and I forget when it was. Anyway, it was a weekend at a local resort. And we did a staycation for my wife's birthday, et cetera, et cetera. And it happened that we ran into Mike Upati. And we forget because we're, well, we used to be in the locker room all the time. We're around these guys all the time. And you forget just 
how large of a human being Mike Upati is. And for fun, I got up before I went up and said, hey, Mike, I walked behind him about a good 50 feet behind him for a few minutes and just watch the wake he left behind around the pool area at this local resort. Just all these people like, oh boy, could you see, Martha, do you see the size of that guy? And just, just to see him interact in a regular situation outside the NFL team facility or an NFL road trip where you're around all these other plus size dudes and to see him in, in public around that resort and just the wake he left with people just reacting to the size of Big Mike. Uh, Cause you know, the, and he had his little two-year-old with him and it was hilarious. His two-year-old right now is probably about 12 and probably twice my size. <laughs> and, and, and you guys are right. The dichotomy between his size and his personality is such a soft-spoken guy, a very sweet guy. I mean, you, you think he's this big brash rough and tough guy who you do want to go into a bar with and he's going to start trouble, but he's like, he's just such a soft-spoken guy that, yeah, you try to do an interview with him. He, he give you five word answers and he's, he's answering your questions, but he's not going to give you much else, but he's certainly a, a kind hearted person. And I remember talking to him when he left the Cardinals asking if he might retire then. And he said he wanted to get to 10 years in the NFL. And I think this was his 11th. So I know that was a milestone for him. So congrats to Mike on that. All right, so there you go. Let's see, what we what we determine in this episode of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. One, uh, Larry needs to get off his keister and start working the phone and start building a LeBron-type super team. I think that's one takeaway. Two, uh, Kyle, if given his druthers, would actually be covering the AVP if it still existed, <laughs> the uh, professional volleyball league. Uh, if it, and and he, Kyle would be doing his own endless summer if you guys ever saw those surfing movies, Endless Summer, and Kyle would just follow the volleyball circuit around from one warm weather locale to another all around the globe. So that'd be good. Me, I'll be a sideline reporter for the powerlifting circuit any day, honestly. Me and Magnus Vermagnuson is my analyst. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll crush it. We'll absolutely crush it. Uh, we'll give WWE and uh, UFC a run for their money. We'll take power. Darren, you know, you're conspicuous by your absence. Is there something? Darren's going to, he's going to be monologuing the podcast next week. when We both have jobs spanning the right. globe. That's right. Actually, actually, I'm just going to fly by myself to Indianapolis and wander around downtown Indy and wish everybody else was there for the combat. That's right. He's going to, he's going to drown his sorrows in his beer. Why can't I cover the three cone? I've been doing it since 2001 and I don't get to, I don't get to, I'm not here for the measurables or the three cone or anything or the hand size measurements. None of that. Gonna, gonna go get myself uh, the Indie Blonde at the, at the Ram uh, Brewery and then uh, perhaps a, a trip to St. Elmo's by myself. All right, well, you know what? We'll, we'll raise a shrimp cocktail to everyone. Call it an episode of Cardinals Underground. <laughs>